This is the Women Your Mother Warned You About podcast, sponsored by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Director of Coaching Programs at Sales Gravy. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want you to go and check out Sales Gravy University. Sales Gravy University is the place where sales professionals and sales leaders from across the globe go to learn and upscale. And right now, if you're a brand new user and you've never used Sales Gravy University before, you can get your first course for free by using coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. And hey, I've got several courses there that you can check out. So I hope to see you there. But let's go ahead and get started with this week's episode. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh-huh. Let's get let's uh, get this party started. Let's get this party started. How's that song go? Um, I don't think you have that in the USA, but it's an, an English song and it's it is. I'm coming up, so you better get this party started. Yes, it's a, why why do you say that does it what is it? Is that song from the UK? Do you not know that song? I'm coming up, so you better ah, get this party started. It's pink. You know Pink. She's American, actually, is she not? So Yes, she is. So, yeah, sorry, you own that song. You take that song back. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought Let's it was part. You know what? You know what I just what? realized? What did you realize? That's the song that our video needs. Uh, coming up. Yes. Ah, we should song. use that. That is our song for Outbound. Yes. I Boom. am up there. I better start practicing my little shimmy shimmy and my little twirl. <laughs> Where are you going to shimmy shimmy? Oh, gosh. Hey, I'm going to get the show started. Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer at Sales Gravy. And I am Susanna Gray-Jones, <laughs> also <laughs> Master Coach at Sales Gravy and <laughs> Recruitment Business Owner, <laughs> Mother <laughs> Wife, whatever you want to call me. Oh gosh, stop Slave it. to Gina. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite. That's my yeah. favorite. Um, yeah. yeah, Outbound's coming up, and I think that's a really cool song for our entry Thanks. onto the stage. Oh yes, that entry is going to be the entry that is going to make everyone look up and take notice. <laughs> oh gosh. Sorry, the English girl's a bit hyperactive today. I don't know what well, it is. Well, we are. The weekend. We are. Yeah, we are recording this show on a Friday afternoon, which is your Friday evening. And I know you got a date to go on with your husband. Um, oh, I, not not a date. Not a date. Just yeah. um, seeing some friends. So yeah, you make it somewhat exciting than it is. Oh, but it's. Um, I'm. Yeah. I, well, I'm a newlywed. I like to talk about going on a date with my husband. So there's that. When's your next date? What is your? Come on then. I know I'm not allowed to talk too much banter. What is your ideal dream date, Gina Jamarco? If a guy was going to woo you, where would they take you? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I, there's no ideal. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've got the ideal man and I've the, like, we had a really great date night last night on a Thursday and we just went to dinner and we played silly games at dinner. We played one of this, like, um, it's like you ask questions about each other. It's like, it's kind of like, and there was a, would you rather question in there? It was like, would you rather, I got to go find it. It was kind (gasps) of like the dating game that you did for us. And Mm. um, we did that with each other at dinner and it was so funny. And we laughed so hard. (laughs) I was, I almost peed my pants because we were laughing so hard at dinner. So I don't know that. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I love those types of games because what they do is they essentially expose the blind spot. Don't you think it's the same as sales? Bringing it back to sales. Bring and it when back. you're, yeah. So, like, for example, there's this app. I can't remember what it's called. It's called um, Same or something or um, Relate. I don't know what it is, but it asks you questions of what your husband or significant other thinks. Um, 
So you have to guess what they think and then they say what they think and then you, ooh, are we aligned? And how many times with clients do people think that they've got a safe account and that they are completely aligned and they have no idea that they are off with someone else? Ooh, yeah. Yes. Well, and and you, why is that? How did that happen? How did what happen? Do you want to talk about my marriage or the accounts? <laughs> <laughs> no, the accounts, the accounts. You're you're teeing us up for today's episode. I am totally ruling the episode hijacked again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think about this a lot. I think, you know, you spoke about dating. I think relationships um, and building relationships. People often think that once you've got the deal, then it's over, right? It's very easy for salespeople to be starters. They say you're either a starter or a finisher. And a lot of salespeople tend to be starters, especially if they like the cold calling side and they like the prospecting. They start things off and then they're like, aha, I've got them in the bag onto the next that they forget to nurture their relationship. Mm-hmm. And some marriages are like that too. Not yours, not mine, but some marriages are. <laughs> they get started and they don't, they don't put any more work into it, right? So no matter what kind of relationship it is, that's sort of interesting. Like, why are there starters and finishers? And I think you would agree that there are people who are also starters and finishers. Yes, I do. Because as I told you previously, I don't like to put anyone in a box or generalize them. And and also, I think it's all situational, right? Because you might be in one job and you might just love starting and in another job and you might just be like, oh, I love the detail here. You can't put it in one box. But I think people do tend to favor or get excited or want the the buzz of starting something mm. up. Um and the reason, obviously, because I'm a massive narcissist, I'm actually talking about this because it's, I feel like this, I get excited by the new deals and I've had to learn to think about my retention a bit more. And I always said to people in, in, um, recruitment, it's never, a, it's never a loyal client until you've made a few placements. Don't think they're your client or a current client until you've made a few placements there yeah. because yeah, it's the same with sales, right? And deals. Where do you think you're the strongest in the whole process? Starting. I was the same with men. I was the same with men before I met my husband. Jobs. I would be hopping jobs at the beginning. I would be dating different men and I would be starting new deals and then moving on to the next one to the point. And you see this in lots of companies. They get the business developer to just start the accounts, bring mm-hmm. on the business, and then they hand it to account managers. Um which is a popular model now. And you've probably seen it as well. I I have a lot of clients that I work with like that. What do you think of that model? Do you think it's, do you think it works? Business develop, you bring on account and it to an account manager. I think it works and I think it doesn't work. I think it's, that too is situational depending on the client and the organization. You know, whether we're talking about sales or anything in business, the common denominator that I see that is always a problem is the communication piece. Everybody complains about it and it is a big piece of it. So if your communication is not stellar in the organization, this is where I see the failure happening. Mm. And I've definitely worked with clients where I'm working with both you know, and I'm working with them cumulatively as a group and I'm trying to get them all on the same page. And I usually convince clients, like, let's get them all in the same training. And I'd get some pushback sometimes. I'm like, you don't understand. I don't do the same thing as he does because I'm just the one setting the appointments. And, you know, this was like, this happened recently where I was just trying to get them all aligned on their because statements. And one of them really pushed back on me and said, now, I just I just set the appointment. So it doesn't it doesn't matter what I'm doing versus what the person having the appointment does. And I'm like, your message matters. Like you guys should all be aligned with the same value proposition. That matters. Yeah. And we all yeah. need to get aligned with that. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I think it can work really well. I think it does work if everybody's on the same page. Yes. And I think so, for example, some organizations you could describe something like sales gravy where someone might sell you something and then they get passed over to a trainer or something, but they've still got that contact. That's probably a bit different because you've still got that contact who sold it to you in the first place. Whereas some organizations, they buy, you're basically saying, I think that if someone sells you something and then it's handed over to someone else, that people don't buy the person. 
they buy the product. I think mm-hmm. there's the potential for a misalignment of message there. Um, and I think the companies that do it well, they manage that handover very delicately. Yeah. So go back to what you just said. People buy you. So mm. people people bought that person initially. Yeah. Well, you said people buy the product, not you. Is that what you no, said? No, I I believe that people buy people, right? That's yeah. what we that's what we train. You essentially buy that person. Do I like you? Do I trust you? All those things. I think that if you do hand it over too quickly, then that journey's lost. You kind of got to that point. You have that handover is what's crucial. So if you are just getting someone to bring on the accounts and then you're handing it over, you need to manage that process of handover so carefully. It really is an interesting kind of relationship. You're deepening and building the relationship. So if I think about some of the things that we do at Sales Gravy, right? We have a sales manager, Brooke, who's amazing. And all of the trainers, we train and sell, right? So mm-hmm. so I, I, a lot of times when I'm working with clients, I try to relate to them in this way. I said, listen, I'm, I'm kind of, I get where you guys are coming from while I'm selling, I'm also training. And so in a way I see myself in some ways as an account manager, because mm. once let's just say Brooke sold it and now I'm training it, it's, it's Brooke's to begin with. And it was mm-hmm. her relationship to begin with, but I, I get to deepen the relationship when I take over mm. and do the training. And so we do, we get a much closer relationship. So it's kind of like if you think about, um, I don't know, I always put things in dating analogies. You start dating and then you're like, okay, this is fun, but you're also going to date Gina too. And then <laughs> and then now you're dating Brooke and Gina. And, um, but the clients, is the, but, but they're spending way more time with Gina. And so obviously the relationship will get deeper that way because yes. we're spending more time together. Yes. And then that other person is not involved anymore. So it depends on how the organization has set it up. If it's been set up in a way of, um, I got it started and handed off, then, you know, that's a very simple transition to work Mm. on if, if it's done right. Now, our case is a little bit different. So if it's, if it's Brooke's client and I'm working with them and then they reveal to me that they want to work with me more, Mm. I, I, I go back to Brooke and say, Hey, they want more Gina. And then, we, and then we work it together, right? But we work it together no matter what, right? In the, we do a lot of calls together um, and we create that relationship. So you have to develop, I think, a really good relationship internally mm. between those two divisions so that there is constant alignment, constant communication. Everyone's in the know. You know, I'm getting on a call after this with Brooke and um, a prospect that we're working with. Um, it's our second discovery call. It's a, it's a really big, it's a complex sale. And so there's going to, it's it's going to take a while, but because it's so detailed and I ran the last discovery call, you know, I've already realigned with her today to say, hey, let's get our ducks in a row before we get on this next call. Here are all my discovery mm. notes from the last time we got together with them. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's talk about that. Like, so there's a constant communication between the two of us. Yeah, I know that account. They actually emailed me saying they want more Susanna. (laughs) They're not not an account. Yeah, back off, account (laughs) stealer. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, account stealing, that happens too. So, and also, this is something because I'm I'm a big, since we are talking about dating as well, um, and in the UK, we have something called Made in Chelsea, which is, they went to America, right? So they were dating over here. Um, the English people, we got to follow their real life. It's like a kind of big brother. Who are they dating now? But kind of half acted. When they went to New York, they were quite shocked at how the Americans were um, dating, multiple dating. So in the UK, it was like, I'm dating you, Gina, and I'm only dating you. But in America, apparently what happens is that, yes, I'm dating you, Gina, but I'm also dating Sarah. I'm also dating Jessica at the same time. So on Monday, I have Jessica. On Tuesday, I have Gina. Wednesday, I have Susanna. Is that true? Is that what happens in the USA? <laughs> in dating or in sales? Which one are you? We talking? start with dating and then I'm going to tell you what I think about sales. <laughs> um, I think a lot of that does go on. That doesn't go on everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it, it does. I mean, it does go on. When I was on the dating scene, um, I was dating multiple. I mean, I was dating. That's what dating is. You're you're dating and then you turn it into you make a decision on if you're going to make it an exclusive relationship. Mm. So I've definitely been in those scenarios where um, you date until you find the person that you want to spend more time with. Yeah, see. Maybe we make too many assumptions over here in the UK that if you're dating me, you're only dating me. And you, you it's something that's kind of that unspoken. Well, I was going to say, let's let's bring this back to communication. You said yeah. we're making that assumption. Now, I will say that when David and I started dating, um, we identified it and, and I we identified it really quickly, but I had been dating and it was exhausting and there was that mentality. And I don't know if it's an American thing, but it's like nobody really wanted a committed relationship. They all wanted to date because they wanted to see who else they could date. And it was that kind of, I'm like, is this really what it's like out here? Because I had been married for 19 years and had no idea what was Sorry. out there. And um, But then David and I started dating and we we always had a really good communication between us from day one. Everything was always out in the open, upfront. Let's be honest with each other. And I think it became from our past of not having that. And pretty quickly, I'm like, um, I don't know how, how it got asked, but somehow it came, it came down to him saying, I don't want you dating anybody else. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I was ha like, we had the conversation. So the assumption did not have to be there. So Let's bring that back to yeah, sales. Yeah, and I've got something to say about that because I now, now I'm a business owner. I deal with quite a lot of different things like job boards and advertising and things like that. And sometimes, as anyone has, when someone's trying to sell you something and you get on well with them, you always have that little tingling thought at the back of your mind, do you actually get on well or are you actually just trying to sell to me? There's always that kind of uncertainty, right? And that always keeps the gap a bit wider than maybe it, sh it should be, especially in recruitment, because you, you're like, I had someone today saying, oh, I might get a counter offer for my current job. And I'm so tempted to say, yes, you will. And you will not take it. But instead I'm like, yes, that's interesting. So how do you think you'll feel about that? So you're, you're always kind of, you're selling, but you're looking, you're not trying to look like you're selling and you have that relationship, but you want that relationship to seem as genuine as possible. So I'm thinking of an example. I'll tell you where I'm going with this. I'm thinking of an example of someone who sold me advertising and I we had good banter. I thought he was awesome. And then he handed me over to my account manager and I, I was like, oh, I miss him now. I'm going to send him an email. Like, hey, thanks. How are you? You know, no reply. And I felt deceived. And my whole experience of this, of this client customer service, which is such a stuff like, mm, don't know if I, I feel like a bit like I've been cheated on now. And I wonder, I wonder in business, how many people do that and how many other people feel like that. But I didn't feel it badly enough to go and say, hey, I'm going to complain. He didn't respond to my email like a weird stalker. But I, I, I felt, I felt like, well, we had, I bought into you and now you've handed me over to someone else and you haven't even bothered to respond to my email because you've closed me. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's a horrible feeling. Susanna feels rejected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what would you do next with them? So, well, you know, I, I'm signed up to them for a year. They've got me, right? In the same way that, um, <laughs> do I take this back to relationships? <laughs> no, but like, I feel like it. what it has made me aware of, it's kind of exposed that blind spot. And it's something that I don't think we talk about very much in organizations and sales. We don't talk about the aftercare because we're so focused on numbers and contracts that sometimes when they've signed up for that year, that's done for the year. We don't often think about that. And we could say customer service, but everyone talks about customer service, but I think it's about the journey of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the importance of that. So the bigger question is after the year, what are you going to do? Well, it depends if my new contact uh, gets in contact with me. And the thing is, and this again, people often make the assumption that you're bought in, you're happy, but it just takes another Jonah, his name was Jonah, to come along. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm so like, oh, 
next year I'm going to go with you then, you know? So it's, um, that's what yeah. it is, is that you're like, okay, well, I'm here now. I'll go with this. And, and then you, you talk about it negatively. You tell people about it. You share that story and retention's not going to be there. Exactly. Right. And, and that's, and that's what happens with it. Uh, but I, again, I, I'll bring it back to sales training. Like who's training them in this process? Yes. Or I would argue that they're being trained very well, but not in the whole process. They're only being trained. Yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. The whole part, the whole process, the, the, to me, the most important part of the process, the relationship mm. building, the whole process. Right. And I, and I think, you know, also when we get objections, there's, there's a deal that I've got working that I've been really like proud of myself of how I've managed the different, I wouldn't even say objections. It's just the process for them. Like I, I'm feeling really good that they're going to buy, but it's just delayed because I can't get in front of the ultimate stakeholder. Now, I believe that my my coach that I'm working with internally is going to get us to the finish mm-hmm. line. But, you know, it's a lot of salespeople would get up and go, OK, I'm out. Let me go process the next person. Mm-hmm. And my, you know, but I will continue to nurture this relationship. I've got a relationship right now and, and, and Jeb would probably say walk away, but I've been nurturing a relationship for a year. Um, it's, it's a huge, it could be a huge deal, but I'm, I'm nurturing that relationship mm. because they never, they continue to say yes to me to have appointments. And there's a number of issues, which, you know, I know Jeb would turn me here you know, walk away, but I'm nurturing this relationship. And whenever I reach out to schedule a call, you know, to get us to the next point, they always say, yes, they always make a micro commitment. Am I possibly wasting time on them? Maybe, but I genuinely want to work with them. I genuinely want the deal. I genuinely want to be the resource that takes them to the next level. I genuinely want to do that. And I think people can feel that. And this is where we miss the opportunities as salespeople when we don't think of the long game. It cannot all be a short game. And I know I push you a lot on what we call the one close, the one call close sometimes, but certain products and services and relationships require a longer game. Yeah. And more than anything in recruitment, you know, it's um, it's so transactional to the point that someone will say no to you. And then six months later, that person's making you 12K because they essentially, because you kept in touch with them. But it's almost, don't you think it's something like real relationships is something, maintaining them and nurturing them. It has to be almost effortless, seem effortless. Um, and it has to seem somewhat natural. I didn't think someone said to me the other day, they said, Susanna, can you teach our staff to build relationships with people? And we, we teach that, right? We teach them the fundamentals. We, you know, there's books written about it. But there are some people that I believe who will always struggle to build relationships. That's a really good, that's a really good one to, to give some consideration and, and discussion to, because I think that there are some relationships that are never going to work. If I just, let's just talk personally, personally, relationships that just aren't going to work. Now I can talk this way now because in my relationship with David, um, my husband is getting personal. We had, we had, I mean, I'm pretty transparent, open book. We had our post-wedding marriage counseling session yesterday before we went out to dinner on our date night, date night. And this was because we wanted to do pre-marital counseling, just our, our, our religious beliefs and whatnot. And so we, we agreed to that. Our counselor was our pastor who also was our, he married us and then he did our pre-marital and he said, I want to do a post with you because that's really where couples struggle is like after the wedding. And so he, he shows up and David and I were like messing around like kids. We were at a Barnes and Noble and, and 
the guy shows up and he's like, well, I see absolutely nothing has changed. You guys are exactly the same way you've always been. And we're like, what should we be working on? He's like, I don't think there's anything for you guys to work on. And, and it, but the point of the story is that David and I were, were so well aligned from day one that everything feels effortless. And I say this because I can't say that I've ever, I've never felt this way in a, in a, you know, relationship with a man or, or, you know, a marriage before. I've had that with many friendships where it just feels mm. effortless because there's an alignment. There is a connection. There's, we're on the same page as people and mm. humans. And so it works really well. So if we take that back to sales, how do you get that same thing in the sales arena? Sometimes you're not going to be aligned. Mm-hmm. Now we're in business to be in business. We're in business to make money. So you're not always going to be aligned um, with the people you do mm-hmm. business with, like personally. Mm-hmm. But if you can be in the mindset of we're aligned when it comes to the language of business and Mm. sales and get us all on the same page Mm. there, then that relationship should feel effortless. Yes. And I think a lot about this stuff and you've, you've just got me thinking about, by the way, your selling with humor practice course that I went on this week, uh, although I couldn't go on all of it, the bits that I did go on have been transformational um, in many aspects of my life this week and in many senses to what I'm about to say. So I'm a big believer that the people who don't, who struggle to build relationships with others are the people who have the barrier. I often talk about Jahara's window. I often Mm -hmm. talk about the people who have the surface and they don't talk about what's going on underneath the surface. Yes. And there are mm-hmm. some people who, yes, they build relationships, but it's always quite superficial because they don't yep. talk about what's really exactly pains are. And I've found, and this is thanks to your selling with humor um course, but also another situation that I'm going to tell you that happened. I found sometimes it can be the things that you're not expecting that can completely take that barrier away and that can be humor so I'm going to give you an example of something that happened in a discovery call um, when someone didn't want to go through the discovery process and <laughs> they said hey can you get to the chorus and stop boring us and <laughs> I I had two options I was either going to say oh um, yes yeah, sorry yes let, and keep on the service instead I just disrupted the norm and I said oh I'm sorry. Have I offended you? Oh my gosh. Now I'm going to go and cry after this call. And they laughed. And it was just that moment of something that could have gone one way. Humor made us all just forget about that awkward barrier of we're behind screens. We're in this professional meeting. We're wearing our suits. And suddenly we were just all laughing. And it was just such a lovely moment that that ice was broken. Um, I loved you. You you sent me a video clip of that, and it was before you did my selling with humor but practice fair, class. It was, yeah, um, self deprecating that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I and I think at one point you said, "I'm sorry, I haven't entertained you" or something like <laughs> that. Um, and that was a great example. It was disruptive. It wasn't rude or unprofessional. It it had humor to it. Um. I thought it was also a great way to wake him up because it was like he didn't have um, the social awareness in his, how he was talking to you. Mm. I think it's very interesting, isn't it? I think certainly humor, for example, in, um, this is your, this is your thing. I should stop going on about this. Gina knows no, all about this. Well, no, come, no, and, no. come and sign up to one of Gina's courses and find out. <laughs> but um, I, I, for example, someone said to me today, you know, it was, I was hoping to close them in the one call and he was like, well, obviously I'm not going to hand you my card now and pay now. And I said, are you not? Sorry, I want your money now. And then I just laughed. And he was, we both had a moment where there's that potential awkward moment. What do you do? You either go with it and make a joke or you just do the whole like, yeah, this is going to be awkward. And I, I must say there have been a few 
situations where things can get so formal that sometimes you just go with it and make a joke and overdo it. Everyone laughs. And it's because of your, your course that I've started seeing things a bit differently. But I also think it's being talking to people about, and you're good at this, talking to people about when things have been difficult for you. Like you're a sales trainer, right? And I'm a sales trainer, but we still talk about things where we basically fucked up. And it's okay to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did the English girl swear? Yes, she did. I was like, wow, I was kind of just in disbelief that I heard you say <laughs> fucked up, but go on. <laughs> what would the queen say? What would the queen say? So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think there's that barrier. And I think people who are struggling to build those relationships, they need to think about how can I undercover what's what we can see on the surface and how can I really get to the depth of who this person is? And sometimes it happens naturally. And sometimes you have to work for it. You've got to ask the questions. And then we go back to the discovery part. But yeah, it's interesting because you, you've you brought up the the Selling with Humor course a couple of times, which at the time of this recording hasn't fully launched yet. Um, Jeb, Jeb doesn't know, but he'll find out now um, that I ran a practice, right? I ran a practice of the course with a couple people that know me and... Um, people that have worked with me, you know, I pulled in some of them and ran through the course because I wanted to actually run through the course. And this is so important in the experience that we create for our clients. I'm like, I don't want to run this course until I've run this course. Mm. And I'm, and, and I'm so happy that I did that because I found like a, a missing component that was missing from the course, which was so much about the audience. And mm-hmm. I totally, I was like, how did I forget this part? Right. So that became a big piece of it. I got so much feedback from, from people on like what they liked, what they didn't like, what exercise didn't really work. And, and so it was super helpful to go through that. And, and a big piece of that was making myself open and vulnerable to the group and saying, Hey, I want to run this. And I want you to give me feedback on where I could be better with this. What are you getting from this? What are you learning from this? And one of my, my aha from that course, um, and I'm excited now to launch it officially, is that when we're teaching, and, and okay, let me back up for a second. I don't teach people how to be funny. And I think part of me got stuck when I was creating the course because Jeb gave me some really great feedback on my course content. And one of the things was that, that stifled me was he's like, I want you to teach me how to be funny, right? That was like kind of his feedback. And I got stuck because one of the things we would always say in teaching um, improv is that we don't teach you how to be funny. Mm. Funny happens. And so I had that so stuck and ingrained in my head. Teach me how to be funny. It's sort of like anytime someone, oh, you're in comedy? Tell me a joke, right? It's Mm. like they're putting you in that, that box to do that. The reality with humor is that we all have the ability. We all, we're all wired for humor Mm. because two keys to comedy, repetition and contrast, repetition and contrast. So repetition is directly connected to relatability. Mm -hmm. So repetition, I see something that I read that, that I have experienced. That's a repetition. That's a relate, Mm. right? Which we teach a lot at Sales Gravy is what is the relate? People will laugh at the things that they relate to. And we talked about this in the course. I'm like, you know, why do we laugh at certain things? And it was, well, I'm laughing when someone fails because I'm happy it's not me. (laughs) We laugh when someone trips. Do you that's just mean? We don't do that in the UK. No, but I, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, you know that awkward moment. Were you ever that kid? I was the clumsy kid because I'm slightly, oh I'm sl- I am the clumsy. I'm still clumsy. Yeah. Are you dyspraxic? I'm dyspraxic, slightly. What sticks dyspraxic? Is, gosh, you Americans are so behind. <laughs> Only joking. Um, <laughs> just the redheads. Um, but yeah, dyspraxia, it's like dyslexia, but it means that sometimes you do things that are a bit clumsy, right? So for okay, example- I'm totally dyspraxic. Yeah. So I used to fall over a lot when I was a kid. I used to struggle with um, movement. I used, to, I used to struggle to dress myself <laughs> when I was really young. <laughs> like, you know, I'm talking like before the other kids, like, and I hate buttons, like little kind of weird things. It's kind of like a very, very slight disability, a bit like dyslexia or something like that. Um, Gina's looking at me now thinking, 
<laughs> I was just having a vision of you like leaving the house naked. I'm sorry. <laughs> Still thinking about me naked. Um, but essentially, you know, it, it, it's one of those things actually that uh, I don't want to start talking about myself now, but it's made me, um, it's made me work a bit harder. You know, I went to Cambridge University, which is like the Harvard over here and, it, and it's made me, it, it's made me work a bit harder. Okay, so. okay bragger. <laughs> I went to Cambridge University. Yeah, I, I got in through the back door, but uh, essentially, <laughs> essentially, you know, when that kid carries the the tray and they fall in the um, lunch queue and yeah. they, they drop it and then everyone stares and they give bright yeah. red i was always that kid i was the kid who would drop the lunch all over the floor go bright red and everyone would laugh and i think you might have been one of those kids that was laughing gina <laughs> <laughs> no no, I'm, you just I'm a kid. said you laugh when things happen to people. No, I, no people laugh. People laugh. Yeah, this is why yeah. slapstick comedy is so popular. Yeah, people laugh at physicality. You're like, yeah. you think about the Three Stooges, um, one of the you know oldest comedies where like people are laughing at these three grown men hitting each other. Like <laughs> people laugh at at, at those things because somehow they relate to the silliness of it. But Bridget Jones, the two men fighting. Which what was that? Bridget Jones. Do you not watch Bridget Jones's diary? Yes, I, I, yeah, I can't, I can't remember the two men fighting. Yeah, it's when Colin Firth fights with um, Pierce Brosnan. It's hilarious. They're like doing this whole like posh man kind of fight. Thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. People laugh at that. Yeah. But people laugh at the things that they relate to. Um they also laugh at the things that are unexpected, mm. right? That's, that's part of it too. So sometimes the laughing at someone who falls, like you didn't expect it. And then all of a sudden it happened and then a laugh, you know, yeah. you laugh at it. So there's the, those two keys to comedy are those two things. And how do we take that and then boil it down in sales? So I think getting back to the, the point of this was like the relationship, right? It's, it's spending time in the relationship, spending time getting to know somebody. This is a huge, you know, the, the huge piece in, in comedy and selling with humor, you know, here's the, the spoiler alert. It's the first funny or interesting thing said that the, is basically what, how I, I would stress this to my students, pay attention to audience behavior, pay attention to buyer behavior. When they have a reaction or a response to something you said or you did, from a comedy perspective, if they laugh or smile or their eyes light up or they pop up, you know, their their body posture changes, they're having a response to something you just did, mm. right? And especially if they laughed, you have to like mentally check in and go, okay, that's the first time they laughed. What <laughs> did I just, what did I just do? I did something just now that got their attention. And and I and I'm saying this that you have to ask yourself this because it's happening live and we're not really thinking about it. Okay. So in marriage counseling last night, when the counselor said, you know, what did you guys learn about each other during <laughs> during the wedding planning? David's like, you know, she told me put one or two funny vows in our vows, because we had like, you know, seven or eight vows each. He's like, but all of hers were funny. It was like a comedy show with her. And I'm like, are you like butthurt about this? Like I didn't do it. On, I'm like, those were, they became improvised. So serious vows turned into actual funny vows. Yeah. Yeah. Because every time the people at the ceremony would react, it would actually fire me up. I'm like, oh, that just made them laugh. So I'm so trained. Um, it's so ingrained into me to pay attention to the reaction and how to work with the reaction. Yeah, yeah like kids, you know, like Mary, my daughter, they'll do things again if they think they're funny. You learn it from when you're a child, right? Exactly. Well, that's just it. You, you're, 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 it's innate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you think about kids, you know, I'm going to put this out there. Sound like a child. <laughs> Jeb's favorite phrase. Uh, children don't, they're not thinking about it. They're unfiltered. They're, they don't, nobody's told them not to do these things. And they pay attention to everything in behavior. And then they react and respond to that behavior to get your attention. Yes. By the way, sound like a child would be 
I know it's not going to be a course name, but it could be a great book name. Um, um, it's actually going to be a micro course. Ah, nice. I like it. It, when, it, is, it is coming to Sales Gravy University. Fab. Um, can I just say something as well on this about sales and what you just said, seeing people's reactions? I think also one of the things that I've learned about virtual selling, and I've learned this from Sales Gravy, but I've also learned this from watching myself because when in life do we get to put a mirror in front of us when we're selling? Well, we do now. And one of the things that I've noticed is when I'm selling virtually, because I, w- I used to be so conscious about the eye contact paradox that I would mm-hmm. just always look at the camera, that I forgot to see people's reactions. And I went through a stage of, because I didn't say, hey, Gina, just so you know, when I'm looking here, I'm not ignoring yeah. you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and making you conscious of it. I, I started ignoring people. And like, I started ignoring yeah. signals. And I only saw this when I was watching back. And I said, wow. And I didn't close as many deals and that. I thought, you know, that's exactly it. So virtual selling is so easy to think you're getting more of a connection just by looking at the camera, but look at them and tell them, make them aware of it. It is so important. I'm, yeah. It sounds obvious. I, I, it's not. I'm, I'm happy you bring this up, right? Yeah. This is what we teach. We teach this with, with the eye contact paradox, like, right? How do we develop these relationships virtually, right? I mean, even when you, yeah. you and I finally met in person, um, it really didn't feel that different because it we we spend so much time like this on Zoom that yeah. the relationship is there. So in person didn't feel that different, but virtually, you know, everything that we teach, everything that Jeb teaches, right? Making eye contact with the lens is so important, and and you have to take your eyes off the lens too, in my opinion. So I, you know, we teach this, you, you, you're going to pre-frame the situation, mm-hmm. right? So I always pre-frame it. Um, even, even if it's just one-on-one in a sales call, because I've had people say to me, gosh, you are really good. I, I really feel like you're making eye contact with me where I'm like looking up. You're like, you're like looking at me. It's obvious that, you know, you've been trained in this, which is a great compliment, but especially in training, I will say to people, okay, I'm going to make eye contact with you through the, through the lens. I said, but every now and then I'm going to take my eyes off the lens. And then Mm. I go like this and I'll take my eyes off the lens and I go, and I'm going to look around this really big screen behind the camera, like I'm doing right now. And what I'm doing is I'm checking in with each one of you to see your faces. And then all of a sudden everybody starts smiling. Mm. I'm like, yeah, Susanna, I see you. What are you eating, Susanna? Right. And I'll start literally addressing each person on what's going on with them and pointing it out. And so I said, so I will from time to time take my eyes off the lens. It doesn't mean I'm distracted. It means I'm actually checking in on you to make sure that you're engaged. I'm checking in on you to make sure, you know, I'm looking, is there a question on your face? And I think, I think this is where I, I, I have a really good effective engagement rate with, mm. with clients that I'm training virtually um, because that they're, they're always laughing at me because they know I'm making eye contact with the lens most of the time, but I've gotten really good too peripherally. <laughs> like, right. I can see what's going on in my peripheral on the screen. And every now and then I'll glance down at my laptop and I'll look and I'll be like, Joe, Joe, what are you, what are you eating, Joe? Right. And I will, the, the fact that I'm I'm paying attention makes them feel like I'm there with them. Yeah. It is. We have to be, you have to, to it is an art. It's a, you have to balance it and you have to practice it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that people take for granted um, with virtual selling and it, you, you've got to, you've got to learn and reflect on it because if you don't, then you might be coming across differently to how you actually are. And that, can sometimes hold people back. So I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. What? Come on, our sales gravy virtual selling course now. (laughs) (laughs) Are we still actually running that one at the moment? Um, It is summertime at sales gravy. And I don't think virtual selling is on the on the live docket, but we've Uh got plenty of micro courses that you can take in the virtual selling. Yeah. Realm to get yeah. your fix on that. Are you going to ask me? I was going to ask you. I mean, I don't know if I was going to ask you. I was just going to kind of bring it back to 
what I think might be the theme of today, (laughs) which is about developing relationships. We've been using dating as an analogy, um, but it, it really does come down to listening and paying attention and nurturing a relationship through the process. And again, another big piece that I think is important is the vulnerability. Yeah. Right? You, you kind of hit on that a little bit too, like being able to come out and say, hey, this is how I've made mistakes with it. I do this with my clients all the time, right? I'll share different stories of like, you know, situations that I'm working on. I don't talk, I don't name clients. I just say, you know, here's, I'm working on a deal that, you know, I'm dealing with many stakeholders and this is, this went wrong. And then, or I'll say, Hey, I had a, I had a really bad discovery call last week. Um, and how can I learn from that? And it it happens. I'm human. Sometimes it just doesn't click with that lead or that prospect, right? Again, there are going to be some scenarios that just feel very connected and you can feel like there's an alignment from a personality standpoint. And then some are very strained and you got to pull information out of them. Yeah. Um, and some that you meet straight away and you know within seconds this is going to go out, the seconds. And the same exactly. as a date. Exactly. But then there's some, like I've said to you before on a discovery course, oh, I don't think I'm quite for them. I don't think I'm quite for them. And they were like, we want Susanna. We want Susanna. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, you can't always read it. You can't always read it. No, you can't. So that that's another thing that I would teach Um my performers, when I owned my theater, um, I didn't know this right away in the beginning. Um, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a pretty sensitive person. I'm an empath. Um, I can take things the yeah. wrong way sometimes, but I can read people pretty well. What I've learned is that you are going to have a small percentage of people who are going to have a poker face and not... Um, they're not going to show you what they really think. And so they're just kind of stoic during a show or maybe in a sales conversation. And, you know, this would happen in a show and like at intermission, we'd be backstage and the performers would be like, oh my God, you see that guy in the third row? Like he's not even smiling. He looks so mad about being here. I'm like, yeah, I saw that too. And, and then at the end of the show, that same guy would come up to us and be like, oh, that was so funny. What a great show. Yeah. And you're like, and you're like, could you have told your face that during the show? <laughs> right. And yeah. so what that taught us was we're pretty good at reading an audience. Yeah. Do not make the assumption that certain body language is a, a, a tell all mm. because some people, um, especially introverts. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've done an episode on that, uh, but especially introverts, um, they're thinking and processing. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that they're not into it. They're just thinking and processing. And so don't make the assumption right away. Take some time to figure that out and look at that personality, talk to them some more, bef- you know, and then you could determine, you know what, I think this is a personality that just holds it in a little bit longer. Yeah. 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 That was a, that was a big learning for me. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Or, uh, if you want a bit of a cheeky little sign off to that, or if you go on a discovery call with Gina, she might pout every now and again. (laughs) So you might read that wrong too. (laughs) I don't pout. You say I have a pouty face. I don't know because I'm paying attention. I'm listening. I'm I'm leaning in and listening and you're okay. So it's, um, it's just about time to wrap up the show. Do we have any, do we have a, would you rather, or do we have any English words? we Yeah. Well, I'm going to make you wait for the English word for the next one because it's a little bit cheeky. And I feel like we've had a bit of cheekiness already in this episode. So we'll leave Mm. that on for the next one. But I have, I, 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 I'm coming up with, um, I think I'm going to start doing, um, an English American type joke, but for the last, would you rather is I've got quite a good one. And as we've been talking about dating, it co-aligns perfectly. We didn't even plan it. Gina Tramarco, would you rather take care of the beast from Beauty and the Beast for the rest of your life or have Gaston as your boyfriend? So would you rather take care of the beast from Beauty and the Beast for the rest of your life or have Gaston as your boyfriend? Second. Isn't Gaston and the Beast the same? No, you need to get watching your Disney. 
Next date night, you guys are watching Beauty and the Beast. No. <laughs> no. Gaston. Don't, I don't have children. I just now have a 15-year-old uh-uh, stepson. Uh-uh. Gaston's the baddie, right? So think of like, you know, the player, the one who's just like, all about himself, narcissist, right? Narcissist. Oh gosh, the beast, the beast. I want the beast. No narcissist. She's like, you're going to play the beast. No. Even for the rest of your life? Yes. Yeah. I, I like the beast. It's something... I, I quite like the beast. She's big and scary, and yeah, yeah. Well, the beast isn't really big and scary. He just at first they you think that right? It's true, and he does turn into a prince. But you know, if he stays the beast, that's okay too. I used to get really sad when he turned into the prince. I was like, I liked him more as a soft beast. Um, but Gaston is. I think a beast is manageable because I think a beast um, is wounded and is open to being. Um, cared for and I'm a major caretaker like I love that but I can't manage the narcissistic I mean is that the Gaston character yeah that's too draining for me like that I I can't yeah I'll take the beast I I hear you I think I would probably yeah I love how you always add a little depth to this you know I'm just like yeah (laughs) and he's hot you're like the beast um I think (laughs) do you know what Gaston is hot don't get me wrong and I have played Belle um for three weeks in London once upon a time when I was younger (laughs) and I I loved the beast he he was um yeah hot but yeah 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 Gaston's also hot. I didn't go with the beast yeah I go with the beast the beast and the beast turns into a prince he does, but not in my story, not in my scenario. So the, you say he's a beast in my scenario forever, but that's okay because <laughs> I'm a, I know you think was Susanna going now, but we as human beings, we may be, we may be hot things. We may be like sexy and all these things, but one day we're all just going to be the beast. We're all just going to be our personalities. So then to love them. Well, that's a whole yeah. other topic for the next show of what, like, Try we to wrap used me to- up. Yeah, we used to think about this. We used to talk about this, um, the previous co-host of the show of, you know, what's sexy, right? Like, what do you consider sexy? That was a question we used to ask. So, yeah. so I, uh, uh, when, when you think about a beast, the beast can be sexy. Oh, yeah. Sexy so beast. They're, a sexy beast. Yeah. So um, <laughs> physical, physical looks are not everything you know that no 100 percent. there we are the women your mother warned you about ending with a layer (laughs) of depth (laughs) it is time for us to wrap up thank you for listening to another episode of the women your mother warned you about sponsored by sales gravy and a sales gravy university hey go check out salesgravy.university where you can find all kinds of courses to take you to the next level in your sales game especially courses uh, by Susanna and myself. And of course, Jeb's newest book, Sell, Selling the Price Increase. Um, we've got courses based on that too. Yeah. So very hot topic. Go check that out. But uh, we got to wrap it up. For more information about us, go to our website, womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com. You can also find us at Sales Gravy University. I'm Gina Tremarco and I'm out of here. Bye, I'm Susanna Gray-Jones and ciao.